This podcast is brought to you by RMA, the Risk Management Association. RMA's sole purpose is to advance the use of sound risk management principles in the financial services industry. Learn more at rmahq.org. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the first breakout session of the day. Uh, the title of today's session here is the why, how, and what of effective risk reports. I'm Bernie Mason, RMA's regulatory liaison, and I have the pleasure and honor of introducing our speaker this morning. Stephen Minsky is uh, CEO of Logic Manager, uh, a leading provider of GRC solutions and the author of the popular RMIS risk uh, maturity model framework and assessment tool. He's also a recognized thought leader, presenter, and writer on the see-through economy, risk management, and corporate governance. Stephen has presented both strategic and tactical sessions at a variety of conferences, including, of course, RMA's uh, G-Core series, the American Bankers Association's Risk Management Conference, the SCCE's Compliance and Ethics Institute conferences, and the RIMS annual and ERM conferences, and he's led educational seminars on a variety of risk management topics for groups like OCEG, RIMS, PCIAA, and hosted board-level training sessions for many logic manager customers. He holds an MBA and MA degrees from the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School of Business and the Joseph H. Lauder Institute of International Management. I now turn the floor over to Stephen. I'm blushing. Thank you very much for that introduction. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for coming to the session. Um, I went around to a, a bunch of folks to, to get their feedback on what would really make this session most interesting to them. So for those of you that I haven't gotten to talk to, uh, please interrupt me as frequently as you see fit. I, love, I would love to have as much of an interaction uh, session as I could. Um, that's what makes it fun. So uh, with that, let's kick off here with our learning objectives. Um, the why is we always, we, we sometimes skip the why, but it's really important here. Um, so increase pressures. That's why risk management is so needed, and I think that's why we're all here at GCOR. Um, the how is very important and the what, and so basically we're going to be covering these points in our session today. I'm not sure they can hear all the way in the back. Oh. Hello. Is that better? Oh, excellent. All right. Why, what, how? Risk management. This is my puppy. Notice how she's waiting for me right at the door. She is not going to miss uh, getting to say hello to me and goodbye to me. Um, if anybody's ever had a puppy, you understand the connection to risk management. Um, a lot of risk management with a puppy. And um, so I think that's uh, just a good way to think about it. We all have risk management in our personal lives. And we think about risk management all the time, whether it's our puppies or whether we bring an umbrella to work or whether we choose to take the stairs or the elevator. There's a lot of risk management in our daily lives. So then all we really need to do is think about, like, how do we take some of those really best practices that are in our daily lives? And they're not so different for the company. We just got to translate them a little bit. And that gets into why we all here. And I like to say... This is probably the most important slide, I think, and the message to get across is that everybody in this room 
and everybody that is on the risk management team are heroes, superheroes. A bat signal goes out, right, and the, and the heroes respond. And I think in some cases you have your risk management team putting the bat signal out and responding. And I think with your teams, this is so important across the organization. It is the, if you think about how risk management works, to get a report, you've really got to have, it's about people. And we'll talk about reports, we'll talk about data, but it's about superhero people. And I think that's really a very important thing to remember. And superheroes always have sidekicks. So I'm your sidekick for today, and I'm going to help you uh, with some tips and some, some practical takeaways. So if what I'm saying isn't actionable enough for you, again, please invite me to clarify or ask any questions you'd like. Um, Bernie had mentioned the see-through economy. I think that's also an important thing to understand about why we're superheroes right now is how many people know, let's see if I got this device here. When did this sucker appear first in pretty much everybody's hands? When did it become like kind of dominant? Anybody? I'm sorry? Yeah, 2000, 2008 is when it was in, first came out. So 2012 was when the iPad first came out. And so you think about this thing, it really is about 2012 or so that this thing really became popular. And popular means what? Video recording, <laughs> pictures, text, out to social media, go around the world and back again before you come back, go to lunch and come back, right? It used to be not too long ago, like 10 years ago, that anything that any employee saw, they either went to their PR group to ask for permission, or they went to their boss to ask permission, or they you know, sent an email to ask permission and didn't leave the room, so to speak. That's part of the problem, is that if it doesn't go anywhere, it's going to move outside the organization. And it's going to go through social media because they feel the burden of this information. They're, not, they're trying to do good. Most people, I'd say in the 99 percentile, want to do good. They have information and they want to do good. They just need a channel. And risk management provides that channel. And that's why I call it the see-through economy. The walls look like they're solid. And it looks like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But now what happens inside the corporation is on the internet and lives forever. And I think that's a, just a really big change. And so how many of you folks have key controls that are older than, say, 2012? Come on, admit it. That's getting better. We all have many, many, many controls older than 2012. Key controls, if you ask a lot of people why they're key, they'll say, because they were key when I got here. <laughs> and that's why they're key now. Well, that could have been quite some time ago. I mean, before this. And that means maybe you've got to figure out which ones to look at uh, with a new light. And I think risk management can ask those questions. And the challenge is really about the complexity. Um, some folks in the, uh, uh, here today have over a trillion dollars in assets, and some folks are community banks. And that's okay, because really the, the complexity is the same. You've got a lot of people, stuff that's all over the place, in every, every person's head, and you've got stuff that's in everybody's systems. And the systems go up in silos. They don't go side to side very well. And the people kind of go up one, 
they don't really go over either, silos. So the information just kind of gets stuck. And that's, again, a risk management opportunity. When you think about a report, what we have to start to think about is how can we be superheroes to unlock those other superheroes and encourage our other superhero colleagues around the organization to participate and engage. And I think that's a real key part about the see-through economy and what we have to keep in mind about why we do our jobs and how many ships do we save when we erect our lighthouses. And I think that's really, really important work. So let's take a risk-based approach. You say, what does that mean? A lot of people may interpret that in a different way. So I think the most practical way to think about this if you want to make a report out of something is to think about, well, if you're going to get stuff into a report, it's got to be on a common language, right? Because if one group says the same thing in one way and another group says it in another way, you're not going to be able to aggregate that data very well at all because it's different stuff. Apples and oranges just won't aggregate very well at all. So how do you create a common denominator? Common process, right? If it's got different processes all over the place, that stuff is never actually going to aggregate up or it's it's not going to move side to side. So engaging in process owners. If you aren't getting your your folks, if we, if we can't communicate, and it's really interesting when I was walking around and I talked to some risk folks and they said, I'm worried about the regulators, and the woman sitting right in front was, I'm a regulator. <laughs> so I got both of their opinions on each one thinking about what their challenges are or the other. And then I walked over and I met another uh, um, um, great uh, uh, participant here today who said, well, I'm in the first line and I'm having troubles with the other lines, thank you very much, and so forth, and the business process owner. So everybody in the room, in internal audit, and you're like, wow, just in this room we've got all of these folks. How do we get engagement of all of our folks around and how do we get engagement with the process owner where all the good stuff lives? And common prioritization method. Some different parts of our banks are, everybody thinks their area is really important, and it is, but when it rolls up, and you've got to say, Equifax. Equifax, they were warned six months in advance exactly what the risk was. They were warned by their internal people, and they were warned by the external people, Homeland Security. And they sent out some emails saying, hey, we've got to patch these servers and stuff. So risks, and I'll say this is my first provocative statement of the day, mishaps, whatever scandals, whatever you want to call them, they're 100% preventable. And the reason why they're 100% preventable is because six months to two years, usually in the two-year mark, but at least six months in advance, employees throughout the organization know about it. They absolutely, positively know about it. The problem is, and they've told somebody about it, usually their boss or somebody else like that, and they've tried very hard to get the information to move, and it didn't. Maybe it was at a holiday, maybe somebody was on PTO or something of that nature, and just didn't move anywhere. So they kind of gave up. Um, and what I usually find is that when I, you, you kind of read the news, you count six weeks from any kind of mishap, and then usually the story is, I didn't know, it was so terrible, if I'd known about this, we would have prevented this thing, and so forth and so on. Count about six weeks, and there'll be another story that comes out of the employee that says, here's my email, reporting it to my boss and to whoever else would listen, and, and, I, and I took it home with me just in case I get fired. This is, I've been trying to tell people about this, but nobody will listen. That's why we're superheroes. And I want to probably, these are the, really the four key things I'm going to hopefully give you some tools to be able to actually take home, back to your workplaces, and achieve some of these things in your reports. 
boards, boards of directors. So kind of an interesting topic if people know the Theranos story. So they had a lot of fancy, 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 fancy people on their board. People know the Theranos story? So they got a ton of money. They were super, super popular. And they had this fancy board and a total disaster. And their board with super famous people had no idea what was going on. No idea what was going on. And you're like, hmm, is that an effective board by how famous they are? How their credentials are? Or by the risks that they prevent? And it's the latter. And they need our help. And I think all of those folks that were on that board who didn't know what was going on, I think there's a lot of boards, if not should be all boards that look at this and say, OMG, not me. I don't, I don't want to be on the board where I'm embarrassed that I didn't know what was going on. And I know as risk managers, we're thinking, how do we get their attention? How do I get them to listen to us? Well, they're actually thinking the same thing. How do I get the information that's going to not end my career and embarrass my, my reputation, embarrass the reputation of my organization? They're worried about the see-through economy just as much as everybody in this room and everybody at this conference is. So the other thing that's really interesting about the see-through economy, think about fire, right? Your first thought might be, oh, that's scary. You know, PG&E, forest fires, burning down stuff, liabilities, terrible. But if you go home tonight and you're going to say, cooks your food, heats your house. It's a good thing, too. So risk management and the see-through economy are like that. See-through economy can be really scary if you've got some bad stuff that isn't being managed well. But think about it the other way. If you've got good stuff that risk management is managing super well, your superheroes are all that you've engaged around the organization, they want to tell their story. So they're going to tell their story either way to, to customers. And customers are going to vote with their feet and their wallets, right, and their keypads. So what happens when you have with the scandal, it used to be, uh-oh, the regulator's going to come and get me, and the regulator's going to cause me problems. Well, it's kind of like outrunning the bear here. It's the customers now that are ahead of, you, uh, uh, of the regulators, and now the customers are saying, I can, I'm a couple of clicks away from moving to another bank. And you say, wow, if, I don't, if, if, if my reputation is damaged... I'm just one or two clicks away from my customers bolting. And then when, you, when they bolt, your investors get upset. If you have investors, everybody's got investors, whether you're private or public. And the investors are going to say, the customers are bolting. I'm upset because the customers are bolting because they understand that's their money is walking out the door. So now you've got investors jumping ahead of your regulators. And your regulators are still there, <laughs> but you've got other, two other big see-through economy folks that are coming, out, coming up to the board and saying, it's your responsibility. It is your fiduciary duty. And it's your fiduciary duty not only to add value, but to know what's going on. And that's the biggest change in risk management, I think, that's happened in the last, I don't know, 15 years, is that they changed the rules in 2010 that negligence had the same penalty, if you will, and the same consequence as fraud. Now, proving fraud is really, really, really hard. You actually have to prove intent. Now, when they changed the laws, it's a little thing they just said, negligence. Board, if they don't know, is negligent. 
That means if they really, truly, absolutely, thoroughly didn't know, they're guilty. If they did know and they covered it up, they're guilty. And they get the exact same penalty. So nobody's trying to cover it up anymore because it doesn't really matter. If you didn't know or you did know, it's the same result. And the good thing, again, you say, ooh, that's scary. I want to be positive about this. If you do something, and this is really key, you have a lot of folks in the organization think, don't write it down and nobody will know about it, right? Well, that used to be the old way of thinking 15 years ago. The new way of thinking, which is now, which is really what's changed all of the lives in, our, in, in the room here, is that if you write it down and you show they're actually doing something proactively to manage it and it blows up while you're actively trying to take care of it and do the right thing, there's federal sentencing guidelines, there's all kinds of protections out there to actually help with these reports. If you can pull up a report and say, I warned about this, I was given money to take care of this, they're off the hook for the most part. Maybe a, a much smaller reduced problem and a much smaller reduced reputational damage because you can actually demonstrate, you can provide evidence. Here's what I've, we have been doing about this and bad thing does happen to good people. Uh-oh. Risk of technology. Uh-oh. Well, I can't do this. I could do this from memory, but thank you for that observation. Oh. Interesting. Uh, check input. We got, well, while we're doing that, well, it's the power cord, so it's just not plugged in. I don't know who I'm upset this morning. Um, hmm. Yeah, yeah. I checked it out before we came. All right. Um, I think somebody's gone off to get some help. So why don't we do some questions before I go into everything, and then when they get it back up in line. I told you I wanted interaction. Here's somebody to come and help. So bat signal went out. What questions do we have? And I, just to, to repeat, um, I'm super, super glad I got called out because that way there's got other people here that are thinking exactly the same thing and aren't voicing that. So the question was, I doubt everything can be anticipated. And that's not what I said. I agree with that. You cannot anticipate. We are not clairvoyant people. What we can say is that somebody knows about it. And what we do with that knowledge helps us to mitigate the risk. And so all, what I'm saying is why it's preventable is not because we're clairvoyant, but because we just have to find out who. Whether you've got 100 employees or 100,000 employees, somebody, and I don't mean one somebody, but probably like 5% somebody knows about this. They know about the malware, malware threat, and they know that certain things aren't being done to protect it. And there's just this gap that's unnecessarily large. Now, I'm not saying it's perfect because bad things happen to good people. But if this gap can be closed, statistically, we're, we're reducing our risk. And that's all, the best, that's all anyone ever asks of us, is to say, 
get rid of the negligence. And in every contract I've ever read, it says best uh, commercial practices or um, you know, things of that nature. So I think this is really what we're getting at. If you're doing best commercial practices and you're not negligent, I don't think your, your regulator's not going to come down on you that hard. And your customers aren't going to come down on you that hard. And, and, and your investors aren't really not going to be phased. They're going to be impressed that you had, yeah, well, you were found to have best commercial practices in place, which means you reached out to your front lines and you reached across your silos. You're able to aggregate the information up to your board and then take the board information and cascade it uh, back down out, down the silos and across. And if you can do that, you have an effective risk management program. And you have an effective risk management program, you're not negligent because the board knows. And you can provide evidence that they know this with the report. Well then, that's just not my happy day. Let's try something else. Ah, what else? Hey, oops, well, oops, all right. There we go. So how to build effects of risk reports. <laughs> ah. All right. Integrate all the processes with ERM. So for my audit friend in, uh, who's here today, um, where does, and I, I don't mean to call audit out on this exactly, but where do audit, what's auditor's favorite starting point in a journey? Oh, come on, where do auditors start? Where do they like to start? What's their favorite place that's home? Controls. Controls. They love controls. Auditors say, if 80% of my con of, of good controls are in place and they're up to date and they've been checked, you're, you're, you're already off to the races. Well, you talk to compliance, by the way, and up there under events, <laughs> over here, um, you've got incidents. Compliance is terrified of complaints and incidences, and that's their home place. And that's where they want to start. Now, I'm not saying either one is right or wrong. Just know your audience. If you're talking to an auditor, then take out this wheel, go down to the bottom under mitigation where it says controls, and start there and say, I want to have a conversation about controls, which is what we call mitigation here in risk management. And then you say, great, you've got a connection. They agree with you. You've got some engagement. And then you say, let's talk about what are the risk assessments here. Let's collect are these, because think about what auditors' problems are. They can tell if the control is well-written. They can tell if it's working the way it was written. But they cannot tell without a risk assessment if it's effective at managing the risk. And they can't know that information unless it's been collected and reported. So you've got their attention on controls, which they agree. You have the see-through economy. And you have to say, well, what about the assessment? Now, and you go up to monitoring. Either side of what they're interested in is going to be interesting to them. If you're going to talk to compliance, then by all means, start with events of some kind, whether they're complaints or audits or things of that nature. They're naturally, that's their starting point. That's their go-to fear. That's where you're going to get the biggest engagement is they go, yeah, I don't want any complaints. I don't want any audits. I don't want any um, um, regulatory actions, right? That's where they're going to start. They're going to start there. And you're like, great. You got their attention. You've got their engagement, go around the wheel. Go to governance and policies, you've got their attention. Come down to monitoring, you've got their attention, and go around the wheel. This is a great thing. I advise print it out, laminate it, put it in your wallet, purse, stick it up on the wall, whatever, send it to your, to your constituents, your stakeholders, 
customers, whatever you want to call them around your organization. This is, I always think about this like, and I'm dating myself with Captain Crunch and got this little Dakota ring in the, in the box. This sucker, you know, we're adults, but we remember that little Dakota ring. It's a fun little tool. And it just gets, the, gets things started and gets people talking about, oh, well, if I knew that's what risk management was, I wouldn't have been ducking you for so long. Next one, translation. Got to have effective communication. You got to have translation. Now, my little story on this one, how I came up with this slide, my daughter's in a French immersion program, and that's really great, except I had French in eighth grade, and uh, that's been a little while ago. So she came up to me, Daddy, here's this French word. I don't know what it means. And I uh, said, well, Google Translator. And I typed it in there. She gave me the paper, I typed it in there, and I came up with the answer. She goes, Daddy, you're so smart. Thank you. And the second time she came to me, I took out my laptop, and I put in Google Translator, and she says, I can do that. I don't need you. And off she went. And she looked up things ever since. I haven't had to use a girl with translator. So half of me was like, oh, my little girl's grown up. But the other half of me was like, that's awesome. She's doing all that stuff on her own. Isn't that great? So here we go. If you're going to talk to, and again, this is a key point. On the right-hand side, that's what we all call it. That's the standardization of what we all call it. Governance, assess, mitigate, monitor events. That's universal, right? And that was on the wheel. But when you go to talk to, let's say, InfoSec, and you want to go and get that information for your reports, because I'm getting to the reports, but what I'm talking about is structure here. You've got to get the structure to get the stuff in the report. To get it in the report, we said, well, I've had the reason why I did this one also was I was, remember talking to a, to a security officer, and we were having a great conversation for about 20 minutes until I realized that the security officer, I was talking about assess, meaning, you know, risk management, assess, like ask surveys, questions, find out information. But testing and scanning is how assess was interpreted in security and privacy. So they were talking about tools to scan and school tools to monitor. And, and we thought by using the word assess, we thought we were talking about the same thing, but we actually weren't. So now if you go to see your information security folks and you say, okay, let's talk about vulnerability analysis. Then they're going to say, oh, well, let me tell you about my problems. And they're going to tell you about malware. And they're going to tell you about zero-day risks. And they're going to tell you about their problems. And they're going to really relate to you. Or if you want to talk about testings and scans, you say pen tests, right? And that's a nice word for them. They love testing things because they're in security. And you're going to have a really good conversation. And then we know what that means. But you, if you want engagement, you've got to use their words. Dale Carnegie said um, in his Win Friends and Influence People that we may like strawberry shortcake, but if you're going to go fishing, use worms. <laughs> Fish like worms. They don't like strawberry shortcake. So I think that's a valuable lesson here. The next one is, again, structure. And I'm, getting, I'm going to get to the end here with beautiful reports and answer the questions about why and how and what these reports should look like. But that's the easier part, honestly. The harder part is how do you structure and get the data that you're trying to report on? Root cause categories. And I would say 100% of the folks here in the room and 100% of the folks probably in this conference would have definitely root categories of external and internal. Because you'd say, wow, that's a really big difference. External is outside. I can't control it as, at all. Malware, malware people, right? Or internal people, my employees. Crystal clear. That is root cause. But 
if you want to get good data and you want to have good analysis, these are five, this is a, a great standard, five mutually exclusive categories to keep your data in line. Because if you have a, in your organization, probably you have contractors who are people who are sitting right next to your employees and they look like your employees, they act like your employees, they eat the same place as your employees, they drink their coffee with your employees. But if you have a problem with an employee, you're going to HR. If you have a problem with a contractor, you're going to legal and, 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 and procurement to ask for a change of, 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 of contractor. So you could have the exact same risk of a subject matter, lack of subject matter expert, let's say, is your risk. Well, it's a really big difference on your mitigation, your call to action, whether you're going to HR for that sub single subject matter expert bottleneck or you're going to a contracting company saying, this person doesn't have the expertise that I need, I need a different contractor. So really important action item there. So that falls under relationships. The other two that people kind of mush together, again, if you get your mutually exclusive categories, systems and processes, a lot of people lump that together. And my favorite example of why this is so important is as a system downtime, right? And people were absolutely confident that the system downtime was due to the system going down, right? It's, of course that's what happened. That, it's a bad system. We've got to replace this bad system. Well, when they actually did the risk assessment and they did, used root cause, they actually found out that, let's look at the data of when this stuff goes down. Huh, between 12 and 1? It's kind of funny. That's kind of lunchtime. <laughs> what we have is subject matter experts and people who run the systems and the processes go to lunch. And that's when it goes down because nobody's looking at the stuff. All we have to do is we don't have to spend hundreds of millions of dollars replacing the system. We just got to stagger the lunch shifts a little bit. A lot more effective and actually as a control of overcoming the risk. But again, if you don't have the CAS, people are going to jump to conclusions. Oh, yeah, that, we got we to, yeah, 10 million. We need to replace that system. Oh, yeah, definitely. And what you find is 10 million or whatever million later, the risk is exactly the same unaddressed. And that's why this particular thing helps us to be really clear in our reporting. Because if you have clean data, you have clean reports. Make sense? Next one, standardize your assessments. Now, this is something I get asked about tons, from the board all the way down to the front lines. You pick any three people, and you get a difference of opinion about what the word important means, right? Will we agree on that? So how do you get out of that trap? Because you're talking about an organization here full of people with their opinions. So you have to define things a little bit. So I'll give you a quick trick on how to do that. So... Over here, just as one example, insignificant. If you have $1 trillion worth of assets under management, you're going to define insignificant financially as one number. If you are a small community bank, you're just going to define, it's the same structure, it's the same approach, it's the same methodology. You're just going to define insignificant to be a different number. And then you put it in there. And then the next one, forget about all the middle stuff, go way over to 910 to say major. Again, if you have a trillion dollars worth of asset, you're going to define what major is differently than a community bank. Then you go back down, again, legal, operational, and you say, this is really what, if you want to be fancy, your risk tolerances, risk appetites. This is just the practical, actionable version of that, where you're saying, okay, 
a regulatory action to some organizations, like, yeah, I got a load of those. Other people are like, Ooh, no, this is unacceptable. So you had to say, well, yeah, regulatory action, where would that be? And in your organization, it's going to be somewhere very specific. And then you get a consensus, and it becomes then a training tool because you can ask a bunch of people about it till you get your consensus. You can present that to your leadership, and your leadership can get a cons- help you with your, get that consensus and agreement. And then you're spreading it all around the company. And if you use the same tools, and you, again, cut it out, laminate it, slack it, anything you could do with it to get it to as many people as possible, you're going to get standardization. Another one of our favorite tools, now I'm getting into the reporting part. Basically, when you look at this report, I'd say this is a good heat map. And when I say a good heat map, it means that it shows us that we're resisting temptation. And I like that. Counter thinking. If you think about it, that's what risk management, everybody's going right. And they're all stuffed all around a problem. And you're going to say, hmm, I need to go someplace else than where everybody's looking. Because there's 10 people looking over there and there's nobody looking over here. How do I know that where people aren't looking? Well, you've got your impact on the, on the vertical axis. You've got your likelihood across the bottom axis. And your color is telling you the effectiveness of your controls as perceived by your process owners. Right? Remember, 100% of risks are known. And they're known by your process owners. You get the assessment, you get the assessment out using root cause, using all those th- standards. And you should be able to roll it up to a heat map like this where you have this presentation. Now, if you show this to the board, you can then, and again, you're not going to tell them this, but I'm telling you what good looks like is when it's red in the bottom left-hand corner. Red in the bottom left-hand corner is awesome. That's the best possible thing that could happen to you. Because what that means is, I don't know about when you've guys gone shopping and you have to put in your credit card and they ask you to sign the pad. You could just write Mickey Mouse. You can squiggle on your finger. You can do anything you want because pretty much under $60, it costs more to track down and, and recover $60 of fraud. It costs more than just getting people through the lines. So they just anything under $60, pretty much they don't even check the signatures. They don't even care. I think it's really important to understand that's saying, okay, that's an acceptable risk. I'll leave that one alone, even though it's obvious, even though it's you know, easier or relatively easy to go after. What you want is up in the right-hand corner, these cooler colors here, blue, dark blue, lighter blue, it's cooler colors. You're saying, I've really prioritized on the high-impact stuff, the high-likelihood stuff, and I got my controls in order by focusing on the important stuff. And not only does I, do we, whoever we is, risk management, compliance, audit, governance folks, but more importantly, the process owner is saying, I've got this under control, which is great, and that means you can go on to someplace else, or audit says, great, I can use that tool that you just gave me, risk management, and I can go check to see, is it as good as they think it is? And check it out. And, it's, and they should be going right up to his right-hand corner and saying, thank you very much for the people who are telling me. And then there are also the red dots. That's a help. That's, a, that's the bad signal going out, saying, hey, I have a problem. Help me. My, I, I've got a high-impact risk. I've got a high likelihood of this risk, but... I don't have the resources to get this thing under control, whether it's people resources or money, whatever. You show this to the board, and you can zing right in on it and say, bingo, that's my problem. High impact, high likelihood, and we're not prepared for it. And then the next question, so that's five seconds, 
right? Because you've got about 10 seconds to get the board's attention. It has to be in color, just another tip. Boards love color. Um, and then you can zing on it, and they're like, okay, what's that red dot? I want to know. I, okay, the blue stuff, you got it under control. That stuff down the bottom, I don't need to know about it. Red dot. Tell me about that. You've got their attention. And you've got their attention, not just the first board meeting, but the next and the next and the next, because you've got them trained that the dots are all going to move around, the colors are going to change, but the framework is going to stay the same. So you've standardized your report. So they've started, I won't say, go back to my puppy, but practice gets the behavior you want. So you've got your board. Now, by the way, our, our puppy has trained us. Just. So it goes both ways. So if you get your board trained to say, this is how you look at a heat map, then they're interested. The next time, the next time, the next time, they're going to jump right to the good stuff and not distract with the, the stuff they don't need to be spending time on, which is really what our jobs are. Another thing, and this was a direct question uh, that came from participants, was, okay, so let's say they click on something. <laughs> they want to know more about that red spot. What do I do about that? What's really interesting about that red spot is if you collect this data by lots of different ways, by, let's say, um, department, by region, um, you know, a line of business, things of that nature, you can drill down on whatever it is that the board wants to know about. So how do you know what the board wants to know about? You want to stack the deck in your favor as a risk management, right? I mean, we're all about pushing the odds in our favor, right? That's what we're all about here. So you say, all right, I'll go before the board meeting, the board publishes every year their priorities. It publishes what they're interested in. And that's what they're holding senior leadership accountable for. So now you say, okay, they've already told everybody in the organization, publish for anybody and everybody to see what is important. So now what we need to do as risk managers is connect up what's important to what's the risk that threatens that thing that they think is really important. And guess what? The senior leadership is paid on the compensation and evaluated if how they're doing on what the board priorities have been set on. So if you fo focus on this is what the board said, your leadership is already snapped to attention and interested. And anybody throughout your organization, because we all are talking across departments, what brings everybody together? How do we get everybody interested? Well, anywhere you go, anywhere you go, up, down, or sideways in your organization, you say, this is what the board asked for, and this is the risk that's threatening what the board is interested in, you're going to get a lot of engagement a lot faster, right? I think that's very exciting, very positive way to get some engagement, all right? Because you could just drill down and then talk about that stuff. Somebody else asked me about, so I get some just things to say on this, so maybe I'll just do that first, but over here, you've got that, again, colors. You've got your big red half a curve here. <laughs> that's the stuff that's high risk, right? And you're like, okay, you got my attention, some big red stuff. All right, now you want to show, what have you done for me lately? Somebody's did trends. What, what am I doing? You know, if I'm going to erect a lighthouse and show how many ships I've saved from crashing, it's showing you this gap between what the risk is and what the controls are. And if you can get them, if you've got a gap between the risks and the controls, you're sitting duck, right? So they want to know about that gap. They're, Instead of saying, oh, we want to show a rosy report, regulators don't care about how well you're doing. The board doesn't care about how well you're doing. The board wants to know, where am I vulnerable? Where do I need to put my attention? Regulators want you to know, actually want you to show them, this is where I'm vulnerable, and this is what I'm doing to fix it. And then you've got the respect of your regulators, 
because they know you're actually not just fooling around. You're actually focused on the right stuff. And I think that's really, really super important when you're talking about reporting and engagement. You come over here, you could say, okay, how are we doing on our um, things outstanding? And you could slice and dice and analyze that information. Again, priority um, and so forth. And then you can drill down into your issues. And on the right-hand side, you can kind of look at it by your vendors because you've got third-party risks all around us. There is no organization in this room, there's no organization pretty much in the world anymore that's vertically integrated anymore. It just Everybody depends on their vendors and their vendors and their vendors' vendors. This is a big regulator issue. It's a big bank issue. It's a small bank issue. This covers the whole thing. And again, you've got a standard framework. So you're only having to train your board once. You only have to train your management once. And if you've structured your data, then you can roll up that data, and the data will completely change, or not, month to month, quarter to quarter, and so forth. But you've trained everybody on how to zoom in on the good stuff really fast. And I think that's really what our jobs are, is to zoom in on the good stuff in 10 seconds. Because that's all you got. In 10 seconds, we'll get you 30 seconds to 2 minutes. And 30 seconds to 2 minutes, we'll get you maybe 10. And I would want to say, if you show this stuff, and everybody says, thank you very much for your contribution, next please, some people interpret that as a, interpret that as a good sign. I interpret that as a problem. Why didn't they ask me questions? Just like I'm going to now go over to question and answers. Got to ask questions. If a board is not asking us questions, it means either they know everything, possible, or they're not paying attention, possible. We, if they're asking questions, they're paying attention, they're engaged, and they understand the role of risk management. So, some question, folks. Please. You mentioned that your heat map book controls. Um, so if it is controls, why would you want to have your red on on the top versus your residual risk? So can you, can you clarify that? Sure. So these are the components. So you can calculate and, 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 and slice and dice all you'd like. So you've got your impact and your likelihood along the axis, and you've got your effectiveness of your controls, which is the third dimension in color. So really what you're saying is your residual risk, if you will, is your impact times your likelihood, right, times your effectiveness of controls. So you've got impact times your likelihood or plus your likelihood or whatever math equation you prefer, and then multiplied by your effectiveness of controls. Your residual risk is in the upper right-hand corner. That's your biggest residual risk, and that's what you're focusing on. And so you, there's lots of ways it becomes a residual risk. It could be Fort Knox with a very high risk, right? Or it could be um, a very high risk. You know, there's lots of ways where it comes out to the same number. So this helps you split and divide. How, what, what is my problem? So we can talk about the problem instead of just saying, we have a problem, but I don't know what it is. You can say, we have a problem, and this is the diagnosis. Please. Mm -hmm. So basically, at the end of the day, that ends up being your residual risk. This becomes your measurement. Your measurement of your residual So a 10. When you want to know what 10 means, you say a 10, and by the way, this is the interesting point. I'm glad you brought that up. A 10 could be a financial. So if you have a system, it goes down, and you lose how many dollars per minute, that it's a financial risk. It might be, I don't lose any money per minute, but I get a regulatory fine. 
or I don't lose any money per minute, I don't get a regulatory fine, but I get a massive legal class action lawsuit. There's still 10s, just for different reasons. And so what it's doing is saying a 10 is still a 10, no matter what the reason for what it's a 10, you're helping people to be able to hone in on what's a 10. Because if it's only on money, financial, then they're not going to tell you about the other dimensions. So strategic stuff is where it drops off a lot. Like people like strategic. Somebody asked me, what's happening? Anybody here heard of something called a recession? People don't like to talk about that. That's an upcoming trend. This is a valuable risk management lesson. Most organizations are saying, well, I've got it covered, or well, I think I've got it covered, or I don't really have any idea. I was just uh, at ABA in, 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 in Austin. I was sitting with uh, security and IT folks around the room, and they're like, I have no idea about recessions and things like that. And, th and they said, and besides, they've got nothing to do with me. And I said, really? Budgets? Do you, do you, do you have a budget? And they're like, yeah. Well, when there's a recession, they cut that thing. <laughs> Are you ready for that? And they're like, ooh, that's interesting. And I met another folks, and they said, no, 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 I, it's not my thing, that's somebody else. And I said, well, how do banks make money? Hmm, interest. Well, when a recession, the interest goes down. Well, that means fee-based income had better go up, otherwise you're going to have a gap. And so the time to be developing fee-based income is not at the time of the recession, it's before the recession. And guess what? Let's say the recession is mild. Let's say it's three years later than you expected. What's wrong with more fee-based income? <laughs> right? And getting people to think ahead of time. That's really awesome. Provoking them to think about what it means for them. For a topic that's a little bit uncomfortable, that they don't really want to talk about. And what I'm saying for my banking friends, they're starting to actually talk to their employees and their bonus systems and saying, you know, we should move it from paying on target to be paying on budget. Because if there's a recession, the target's going to change, but we'd better be on budget. Otherwise, we're going to have a problem. And so they're thinking, I've got to change that. How do you figure out what, how the recession is going to affect your organization? Risk assessments. Your process folks know about it. We go back to six months to two years and ahead of time. There is a recession someday in the future, for sure, 100%. Most CFOs think that's sort of 50% this year, 80% next year, but it really doesn't matter what their opinion is. The point of the matter is, what are your front line thinking about that? What are they worried about? And asking about something that they're either not thinking about that's strategic or something, and they, they're going to give you some interesting stuff, and then you're going to be able to act on that. More questions? Um, I believe you can get a download of the deck. I think that's great. Download the deck and not just the heat map, but all the other ones and the wheel and the other things. Absolutely. So my favorite, by the way, absolute favorite thing in the world is a cup of coffee. Invite somebody to a cup of coffee because if you invite them for a heat map, they're going to say, you know, look at the time. I've got to go. But if you invite them for a cup of coffee, they're going to say, yeah, that seems harmless enough. And you say, what are you worried about? What, what keeps you, what's your thing? What, what's bothering you? And then they'll tell you what's bothering you. And then you say, here's something that can help you know whether you're worrying about it or not. And then you put that to their thing, their thing that they're worried about, whether it's a CFO, chief compliance officer, a line manager, first line, second line, third line, audit, regulator, doesn't really matter. 
they're going to tell you what's important. Then you relate what's important to the heat map. Then they get it. Then they're interested. And you do that with a cup of coffee first, and then you show the report. And you have a sponsor. I have to wrap up. Um, thank you so much for your attention today. Uh, if you would please, this is a, if you found this uh, a session to be interesting, uh, please tell um, G-Core about it. So this is, I think, my fifth year. So please uh, let them know. Uh, please share it with colleagues so they can download it. And also, if you're interested in some of these heat maps and some of these tools and the circles and things of that nature, uh, you can leave your business cards in the back. And again, thank you so much for your attention today. It's a real pleasure to be here. Enjoy the rest of the conference. <laughs>